Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Jim Glassman dropping by the studio here in New York. J.P. Morgan Chase, commercial banking head economist. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning. What are you expecting in about 90 minutes' time? Uh, pretty decent uh, job report. And um, this is interesting because we're still seeing above-trend hiring, which is odd. When the unemployment rate is this low, you tend to think you're going to see things slow down. The number of people who are 16 to 70, the working age population, has slowed down dramatically. It's running about 75 to 100,000 a month. So that tells you anything above that is an economy that's growing faster than it's trend, And that's why the unemployment rate has come down about a half a point this last year. When this print comes out, though, I just wonder if payrolls growth slows, are we going to blame demand or a lack of supply? What do you think the reaction function of the investor is right now? I think because most, I imagine they're going to blame demand. I think most people should be and will be thinking about supply because that's where the constraint is. And that's what all of our business clients are telling us. They're having a hard time finding people. We've got a survey of folks, business leaders that is pointing out this, that folks are just, that's the big challenge for, for businesses. So one day you figure you're going to start to see slower growth in hiring. And it's got to be because of the supply constraints. You'd think so, but I think given the perception of investors right now looking at the data elsewhere, there is yeah. a real concern about demand, Jim. You know, I, I think the issue in the market is really more about the possibility of a recession in the next couple of years. That has been that idea has been percolating for most of the last year. So that's why people worry about the yield curve and what the Fed is doing. And you might wonder, why are people worried about the Fed when the real Fed funds rate is only zero? And it's because the market has been thinking, as you look at our history, what people observe is that every time we get to full employment or low levels of unemployment, within a year or two, we trip up in a new recession. And I think I think this, what's going on in the equity market, it's more about the possibility of a recession than it is about the economy itself today. Well, let's look at the data that's come out in the last 24 hours. This is a market that ignored a really hot ADP print yep. and was later focused on what happened with the ISM. I think there's a view amongst most investors and most market participants yeah. right now that the labor market's a lagging indicator and what is happening elsewhere is the reality. It is, but you know, things like the ISM are more sentiment driven too. Sure. And they've been out of line with some of the other measures. So I think, yes, of course, the labor market is lagging and it responds to how businesses see things. But but the truth is, I think uh, we, we are still riding a wave of fiscal stimulus from last year. And I think the I really think that the big idea that's brewing in the market is more a worry about a new recession. And could the Fed be the cause of that by over tightening? What is your view on the American economy? I mean, I mean, JP Morgan's a huge platform. There's a Casman, you know, economic operation. You're in commercial banking, which is a whole uh, a different wing. But is it a view of two point whatever, as Clarita says, a solid economy, or is it south of that? You know, in macro terms, I think it is a spectacular economy. We, we've come out of an awful recession. We're back to levels of unemployment that I haven't seen since I was in college, and that wasn't yesterday. Um, and But the big issue in the, in the U.S. economy is all the disruption caused by innovation. So you look at the labor market, it looks great. Unemployment's low. People are getting jobs. Help signs all over the place. Our business 
leaders can't you know they were having to work harder to fire hire people and yet when you look at the income distribution of the US economy that kind of tells you why it is that there's so much angst. I, I mean, share it, of do you agree it's a gilded age? I mean, Robert Gordon, your great mentor at Northwestern, wrote about this a few years ago. Are we in a gilded age of Eisenhower unemployment rate? I think so. Yeah. I, I think I think so. I, I mean, mean, come on, guys. I'm is, not here is, to, is England the same I'm way? I'm not here to poo-poo on the economy. I think the economy compared to the rest of the world is solid. I agree with that, relatively speaking. What I struggle to agree with is how do you reconcile the idea that the real Fed funds rate is at zero and could well be at neutral, and yet the economy is spectacular. How do you reconcile those two things? Just the idea that a real Fed funds rate of zero is also neutral. Could well be neutral. I don't think it is neutral. Some economists think maybe we've gone through neutral. Though, no, I Jim. don't think it is neutral. I don't think the Fed thinks it's neutral. If you look at the Fed's someone own forecast. Someone at the Fed thinks it's neutral. Well, some do, but they have thought that for a while, and they've changed their mind a while ago. If you look at the bulk of the folks there, they tend to think that neutral is a real fit, a fund rate about a percentage point over inflation. So I, I don't, I don't think if if Chairman Powell were here and not on air, I think he would. Yeah, tell we tried you to get him; he was unavailable today from Atlanta. He, he's busy there. with the chairman Bernanke and yeah. And, Can and I just do a shout out to Michael McKee? Is killing Please it do. with Robert Kaplan. Yeah, Loretta Mester later. later today. Yeah, in this Powell thing, am, am I right, John? It's a panel. Paul it is Yellen a panel Bernanke. with the two former chairman, chairwoman. We're going to hear all of them the together. Chairman. All of them together, I understand, yeah. Peculi this is so Peculiar cool. scenario. It's very, very cool, but I just wonder whether this is the appropriate forum for the chairman to communicate a change or well, maybe signal not. a little bit of a change in communication, Jim. Do you think it is? I don't think so. And I think, uh, I mean, Congress is the best place to do it in, in their official documents. But I, I think he's sort of, he's, I think he has changed the message. I think the message is we're, we're closer to neutral than... We were, and we're going to yeah. be more cautious, and we're going to be give, guided by the data. It's not no longer right. automatic pilot. We have NFIB survey, the small business survey, and small business folks, there are a lot more employees than you think. Like It's not like 100 yeah, employees a or 20. It's like 1,000 employees. Yeah. But where's investment? I mean, you're traveling all over the country. I get the idea that there's help water. We can't get jobs. But is there really an appetite to invest into 2019? Well, they're going to be more cautious, particularly in this environment, because what they what they think is going on is that the markets are telling them you got to be prepared for some possible recession in the future. So that automatically makes you more cautious. But at the end of the day, your investment decisions are going to be based yeah. on what you think the market opportunities are. And they're going to be guided by what they see on the ground, not what they hear in the airwaves. Do you have a train to catch, right? I do. Go get a train. Jim's uh, got thank you so much. Jim hey, Glass, to catch you. Thank you so much. We thank do you. that. Good We're luck. thrilled that you could join us here on Jobs Day. Cutting the reserve requirement ratio, yeah. so effectively cutting the amount of cash lenders must hold as reserves by one percentage point. Now, what happened in two stages over the next month? Miranda Carr joining us from High Tank International, the China macro strategist there. Miranda, great to have you with us on the program. Let's talk about this. Do I view this as easing or something seasonal? What is this? Well, there's two you always get a squeeze in China's markets um, ahead of the spring festivals. People take money out of the out of the banking system. But the fact that you've had um, 
such uh, the 1% across the board um, for all the banks, it's it's more than offsetting the both the liquidity squeeze. And the thing about an R-cart, it's permanent. If they just wanted to provide um, short-term liquidity, they could do through that through open market operations. So this is um, an economic boost, not just a liquidity injection. That's really a good point. And I do wonder whether what we've seen so far, because we've had a series of triple R-cuts over the last couple of months, whether that's enough to support this economy, to support a turn in this economy, is it, Miranda? Well, they need to push more money into the through into the banking system and support some of the infrastructure investment, which is one of the key things to offset the yeah. the, the projected slowdown owing to the trade and sort of lower lower exports. I mean, because you're already seeing the sort of slowdown coming through in the commodity prices, which have been incredibly weak um, as we come into as we come into January. Um, so there needs to be more sho- money shoveled out through okay, that. But this, this um, is, and also just to offset the shadow banking slowdown. This is a really important nuance which you nail. This is not about commodities. It's not about food. It's not about the people of China, small business, da-da-da-da-da. This is about the debt in the banking system, isn't it? Yeah, um, and the, the the thing is, they've tried to they're trying to drag the monetary system away from the you know things like the trust lending and the shadow banking and the online financing and drag it back into the banking system, but also put it into the capital. Don't market. they have to legislate um, that and not do it through a monetary intrusion? <laughs> well, they. They, I mean, they don't need to um, legislate that. I mean, a lot of the, so a lot of the slowdown last year was all about regulation. Um, it wasn't, to, you know, in terms of it wasn't a yeah. monetary policy tightening. They, 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 they regulated, and so therefore the regulation really squeezed the, the, the sort of off the shadow banking system. Now, the fact that they've eased that, that's not right. going to give a huge amount of boost into that sector, um, but it is going to give okay. more, more system-wide liquidity you are expert on how they clear their systems is this really what it's about is they won't let banks fail and that they just haven't cleared out the debris over 5 10 20 years and this is a price they pay right now is they've got too much garbage businesses out there <laughs> well, you, well the thing is they've cleaned out a lot like a lot of the garbage was um which everyone was focused on from the sort of 2009 stimulus package was right. from the local government financing platforms now that's been that's been hived off into fiscal debt so therefore it's been dealt with it's basically been um you know put on the government balance sheet so that's 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 been in in effect cleared up what we're getting now is the first wave of private sector defaults, and it's the small and medium-sized private companies which are really struggling at the moment. And now they've had the when they had the shadow banking um, taps turned off last year, they were the ones that you saw the rising bankruptcies really struggling, and 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 where the slowdown was. Now the question for China is how they get money into back into that sector, so you don't see a huge wave of bankruptcies yeah. coming through, and and much more pressure. And that's. To be honest, the big big issue for um, you know, the domestic economy this year, um, yeah. because they're trying to get money into that sector, but some of the it's a really difficult. They don't have the mechanisms to do it. So, Miranda, just to be clear, to, to summarise and conclude, the deleveraging effort mm. of the Chinese authorities slowly capitulated on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, basically, deleveraging is not seen as a. It's it's they're saying that we're not going to go into a big monetary boost. Um, but obviously the deleveraging and, and the really squeeze that we had last year, is it, it's basically that's come to an end. And we're now into a much more accommodative uh, yeah. phase now. This has been brilliant. Miranda Carr, thank you so much. with high time. 
Why don't you bring in Professor Kruger uh, here as he looks at a uh, Make America Great Again employment report. Alan, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are a little bit cloudy because at the BLS webpage I just went to, it said, we're sorry, BLS website <laughs> is temporarily unavailable. But from the top line numbers, this is an excellent report, and I think it shows that the Fed uh, has been pursuing a very prudent course. You know, it, it shows that the Fed uh, has felt that the uh, labor market continues to be strong, the real economy yep. is, is moving along. Uh, we had stimulus at the wrong time, um, but... Um, looks to me like this is a big win for the uh, course well, that has been on. 370,000, 312 plus 58, even I can do the math, uh, 370,000 lift. I mean, this this really limits Chairman Powell's conversation this morning about stability or a rate cut. You just don't do that into a 370,000 statistic, do you? Well, I think the Fed is going to be more data dependent. I think they're not on a preset preset course, and we'll probably see fewer rate increases. And the um, headwinds that we have been developing late in December, early this year, aren't reflected in this report. But it shows that the actions that the Fed was taking through the end of last year yeah. uh, seem to me to be pretty well justified. Alan Kruger of Princeton, thank you. Now joining us, Michael Darda. As we spoke to David Rosenberg earlier, Mr. Darda at MKM Partners is decisive in writing economics and linking it in to market performance. Michael Darda, if you see a bang-up jobs report, I saw one headline that called it a blowout. That's great. Can you link it over into equity market performance? I can sure try, Tom. Thanks for having me on. So we have a bit of a strange situation here. I mean, these numbers are white hot, very, very, very strong. Yet financial markets for some time have been basically telling us that growth is going to slow. You simply don't see it in these numbers. And that really puts the Fed in a bit of a pickle. Um, They say they're data dependent, and that means if they are going to shift course, they need the data to tell them to do so. Unfortunately, data lags financial market indicators. And so, you know, we basically have this situation where the Fed's going to be incredibly reluctant to really shift policy in a dovish direction, despite the fact that, you know, we've got parts of the yield curve that are inverted, significant stress in credit markets, slow down in liquidity growth, all those things tell us the economy is going to soften this year. You and I are looking at the same quick data. We'll see much more earlier. I'm looking at leisure and hospitality up and very few negative numbers on the screen. But if you look at now and over the last number of months, what portion of these big job numbers that we're seeing are quality jobs, or are they all people saying, you know, what would you like for dessert? Well, you know, we we you know we do have some low end jobs. We also have higher quality jobs. The labor market's tight enough now to raise wages, um, so we are seeing workers' wages move up just over three percent year over year. So, you know, this is outside of the recovery range for most of the expansion has been close to two. So Mm -hmm. we are moving up now, and that's what matters. We also had a situation where nominal GDP growth last year was above 5%, very strong, uh, basically the strongest of the recovery. The question is, this year, in a slowing nominal growth environment, 
um, how does the Fed handle that and how does yeah. it look forward? Because if it's just a matter of celebrating stale data, we're right. going to end up with a policy error. If you're just joining us, Michael Darda, MKM Partners with us on this Jobs Day. Futures were oh, up 30-ish, up 27 right now. You don't see any equity markets with the bond market. Off the headline, we had a huge move. 10-year yield up 7, even 8 basis points. They get back a little bit right now, but 2.62% on the 10-year uh, yield. Real gyrations, yen 108.26. Uh, yen is a little bit weaker off the jobs report. I'll call that a fractional move as well. Michael Darda, when I look at the numbers, and I'm just doing a quick eyeball here, folks, I see the barbell economy. I see median duration not doing much. I see, you know, the the marginally attached unemployment, the U5. I see the all-in U6 data really not improving all that much. Is it a tale of two Americas? Well, Tom, I I think it's just a a matter of some of the standard employment metrics not really capturing uh, the depth depth of the of the downturn and the the slowness of most of the economic expansion. My favorite metric is the <clears throat> employment to population ratio for prime age individuals, yeah. twenty five to fifty four. And you know we're we're just now starting to get back to you know to 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 more normal levels on that one, but it's taken quite a long time. Exactly. By no means, you know, are we at levels consistent with, you know, record low well, unemployment. You read so my I mind. Yeah. yeah, Michael, you read my mind on that. I did not that that chart, but something just like it of 25 to 54 prime employment in America this morning. I took it back to President Truman. And the answer is, as all our listeners know, the vector's always gone up. That's the American way. We always create more jobs. And there's been a leveling from 2000 an employed 25 to 54 in this nation, even a decline at one point, but let's call it a leveling for radio. Fine. There's been a leveling. Let's go back. Why did we level out in employed prime Americans beginning about 2000? Well, I mean, so the starting point there literally was the tightest labor market since the, since the 1960s. So it's too good to be true. Well, it was to, to some degree. You know, and then we had a you know a very deep, very very long downturn and a quite slow recovery. And that prime age ratio, because you're looking at how many people are employed relative to their population, it's not distorted by dropouts and and, and less distorted by demographics. And so, you know, to the extent that we have people that are on the sidelines due to opioid addiction or a loss of skills, you know, your previous guest, Alan Kruger, has done a lot of work on that. You know, it's really captured in that ratio. So we are recovering. You know, we've recently hit a cycle high on that ratio. I don't have the updated data on my Bloomberg screen at the moment, <clears throat> but recently we finally got back to the pre-crisis median. Yes. But we're not at we're not at levels. Uh, that you would expect to see with the unemployment rate sub 4%. Well, we got so much to talk about. Very quickly here, Michael Darda, how will Chairman Powell fold this wonderful employment report, this blowout number, into his comments this morning with Bernanke and Yellen? You know, I think, you know, he's sort of walking a tightrope here. I think he's, you know, certainly not going to want to jostle markets anymore that reacted very poorly to his press conference after the last Fed decision. 
Uh, so I think he's going to try to tiptoe yeah. to a bit. He's probably not going to weigh in directly on this number, and he'll try not to weigh in directly on you know on, on recent market mm-hmm. dynamics. But you know he he may be led there. So we'll see how it unfolds. Michael Darter, thank you so much for your analysis away from your uh, clients here on the Jobs Day. Michael Darter with MKM Partners is wealth. Is For the Trump administration. Now, I'm really pleased to say we're joined now on Bloomberg Television and for our listeners across the world on Bloomberg Radio by Larry Kudlow, the National Economic Council Director, and he joins us now. Good day to you, Larry. Good day. Thank you for having me. Always great to have you, Larry. Let's just start with that blowout payrolls report. The consumer in the United States looks really strong right now. Do you see that still as sustainable, Larry? Oh, sure. I mean, look at, um, first of all, if you if you break out some of the key pieces in this report, as you know, not only do we get the 312,000 jobs, the prior two months were revised higher. So that put another 58,000 jobs in. People are streaming into the workforce. So with wages, you know, year on year, average hourly earnings, what, 3.2%. Hours worked are very significant, 2%. You put that together, the income or a proxy for wage income, as I've called it down through the years, that's 5.2% nominal. And the inflation rate is only about, I don't know, a buck and a quarter, maybe 1.4%. That's a lot of consumer firepower. I think you saw that during the holidays selling season. I think it's going to continue. I, I just want to say... You know, I appreciate your characterization of blowout. It was a blowout. But, but look, I just want to editorialize. I know this has been a gloomy period. I, I know people are concerned about the stock market. Okay, corrections come and go. Nobody particularly likes them, but there you have it. There's no recession in sight, if I may. There's a loose talk about recession uh, with a lot of very, I don't know, not hard data, surely. There's just no recession. The American economy is growing 3% solid. Job gains are huge and um, businesses are investing big time. So it's a much better, more optimistic picture than what we've been getting uh, in the last month or two. So, Larry, let's talk about that, because you said back in July of last year that the boom would be sustainable for as far as the eye can see. Now, we're often overtaken by events, and I just wonder whether we're being overtaken by events now. Do you still see the boom as sustainable as far as the eye can see, or do we need to temper expectations a little bit? Well, I hold to that. Um, you know, if I, if I get a Cudlow forecast right for a few months, I'm going to ride it as long as I possibly can. They're not always right, as I think you know. But I think, look, we have a set of economic policies that are pro-growth. I mean, this is President Trump's... Uh, revolution, if you will, uh, lower business tax rates, uh, roll back all manner of regulations, uh, small business taxes coming down, individual taxes coming down. Uh, as I say, the regulatory rollback is huge on unlocking the energy sector. Now, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on this, but let me just say these are pro-growth policies. And for yeah. those skeptics who say, well, it's a sugar high, it's not a sugar high. These policies are going to remain in place for years, 
for years, okay? The business tax cuts, I guess, have to be extended in 2025 or 2026. This is 2019. We've got a long ways to go. I mean, hopefully they'll be made permanent. But you see my point? The policies are intact. The president is, you know, in no way would he tolerate uh, efforts by the new Congress to raise taxes or raise regulations yep. and so forth. So why can't, I ask you, why can't the incentive effects that have given us this supply side boom without inflation, why can't that continue for as far as the eye can see? Well, this why is the not? pushback, Larry. This will be the pushback. The downside surprises we've had elsewhere in the economy, housing and real estate, the industrial sector, retail and wholesale sector, services and business cycle indicators, what is happening with the yield curve, the inversion we see at the front end, the slowdown in China, the rollover in crude, which as we know is no longer the net net positive for the US economy that it used to be. All of those things are big headwinds into the US economy at the moment. And I think the real debate happening with economists, quite honestly and genuinely, and stripping out all of the politics, is about whether the US economy can decouple from the rest of the world. The rest of the world is not looking great. And the answer for many people is no. Why is the answer yes, Larry? Well, look, I agree with you. The rest of the world is not looking great. Maybe we'll talk about China and trade in, in, in a few moments. I agree with that. But look, my basic model has always been that the U.S. leads. Uh, it's not that I want everybody else to do poorly. I don't. I want booming growth and prosperity worldwide. But unfortunately, there are a lot of policies out there that aren't working. All right. Second point, the United States, it, we are the locomotive. We are the engine that leads. When we get it right, I learned this from Reagan many years ago, when we get the story right, when we go free market, when we go incentives, when it pays more uh, to invest or work the extra hour, you saw phenomenal uh, wage increases today and uh, along with the labor number. When these things go right, we will go right. And then, and then hopefully the rest of the world will follow if they don't take anti-growth policies. So I agree with you globally, but I got to say that the United States can go it alone. We can shoulder the burden of the world economy if we must. Yep. I'd rather these countries, you know, follow us. So you, you see the point I'm making. If we are on the incentive track, if we're on the growth track, if we're on the prosperity track, we'll be just fine, okay? And hopefully our success will even help their success. There, there's too much gloom. There's too much gloom and doom. I prefer boom. I, I think everyone watch, watching this program, Larry, with the exception of people with big shorts, would love the boom and not the gloom. At the moment, <laughs> though, when you look at what's happening with Apple, Apple coming out and saying there's a big slowdown in China, bigger than they anticipated, also pointing towards the trade situation. And your own colleague, Kevin Hassett, saying the following yesterday to CNN, there are a heck of a lot of U.S. companies that have sales in China that are going to be watching their earnings being downgrading next year until we get a deal with the Chinese. To me, that's tacit admission that the trade debate, the skirmish with China, is impacting big U.S. companies and it's feeding back into the U.S. economy, Larry. Well, look, um, let me just back out. You've got two issues here, uh, both good questions. First of all, uh, Kevin Hassett, my dear friend and colleague, we went back yesterday and took a look at the profit numbers uh, on a worldwide basis. So if American companies operating in China 
had zero profits, zero. That would only affect 1.7% of total U.S. profits, a very small fraction. You follow me? Now, it's not going to be zero. It's going to be better than zero. So I think it's a little easy yeah. uh, and inaccurate to just say all these American companies are going to crash because Ch China's economy is very weak. I grant you that. But I, I don't think that prof I, I think Mr. Tim Cook, who was a friend of mine, he's a brilliant businessman. I think Apple may have been overextended. I, I'm not here to get, uh, second guess his sure. uh, business plan and so forth. I'm just saying Apple is not apocryphal. And the slowdown in China, which is quite significant, uh, you know, they've lost their, uh, they're not doing market-based reforms anymore. If they would listen to us and negotiate with us on trade, we would help them enormously uh, with technology, IP, tech transfers, as well as free market approaches. They've gone yeah. off the track. That's the Chinese problem. And by the way, I just want to add, not only am I not worried about American profits in China's, I note that President Trump has been rather optimistic with respect to the China trade talks. We are set, uh, uh, sending a delegation, as you may know, of uh, deputy level people to China this weekend and next, and then the Chinese will reciprocate when they come here. President just talked to Xi. So I, I don't want to get ahead of the curve, right? All these good ideas on uh, no tariffs, no non-tariff barriers. Uh, let's stop the technology stealing. I don't want to get ahead of that curve. There are enforcement issues, yeah. timing issues, etc. But, 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 I think that President Trump is more optimistic. And I think China needs the kind of pro-growth trade reforms that President Trump is suggesting. Their economy has been slumping for years. Take a look at the charts on investment and sales. Uh, what, car sales fell absolutely in 2018. They have gotten off track. So we could help them if they let us. And I don't think there's a catastrophe in the making if they do let us. But I'm not going to get ahead of the curve. Let's see how it works. Well, Larry, you know I'd encourage you to get ahead of the curve. I do want some insight into what we're looking to achieve next week. What is the minimum condition of success for the lower-level talks to generate some higher-level talks in the coming months? Well, that's a good question, and it's a hard question. Um, you've got different buckets of issues. Uh, you've got your commodity buckets, agriculture, industrial supplies, capital goods. We are asking China to significantly reduce their tariff barriers and their non-tariff barriers. Very, very important. We'd like them to reduce their subsidies so they don't flood the market with excess goods and services. That's one very important area. Another important area that will be discussed and vetted uh, in this deputies meeting, uh, the whole issue of uh, IP theft. Um, by the way, that may be part of the Apple issue. Uh, I, I don't want to surmise too much here, but Apple technology may have been picked off by China, and now China's becoming very competitive with Apple. You've got to have a rule of law. There's some indications from China that they're looking at that, but we don't know that yet. There's no enforcement. There's nothing concrete. Finally, um, among other things, yeah. the cyber hacking's got to stop, and, and let's force face it, ownership's got to change. We are asking them to let American companies own their companies so there's no forced transfer 
of sensitive technology. That is hugely important. Now, preliminary talks have been, I would say, a little more optimistic than usual, but there is nothing definitive. I think Ambassador Lighthizer would tell you that. There's nothing definitive. And again, trust but verify. I learned that under Reagan, and we're going to have to have it here with Chinese trade talks. So yeah. we can help their economy if they let us, but we don't know this yet. Hey, Larry, There's a lot there, of unknowns. There, there are Those some big are the claims. topics that our, are our folks Some big cover. claims and some Sorry. big goals for next week alone. Let's get to another potential meeting, and not between the President of the United States and President Xi, between the President of the United States and the Federal Reserve Chairman. Are you working on making that meeting happen, Larry? Could that be happening anytime soon? I, I don't want to get too specific and, and too detailed on that. Um, the details haven't been quite fixed yet. But I think both sides would like to have a meeting. And I personally think a meeting would be useful. It's just my personal opinion. Uh, I prefer to talk rather than, than not to talk. So I'd like to see a meeting. I, I can't be more specific than that. I'm sorry. It's just that um, the details have not been worked through yet. Well, final question, Larry. Why would that be beneficial to the Federal Reserve? I beg your pardon? Why would that meeting be beneficial uh, for the Federal Reserve? Well, look, um, in, in diplomatic terms, what's the phrase? A frank and candid exchange of views. <laughs> I think it would be nice to have a frank and candid exchange of views, uh, shall we say, up close and personal. Um, I think President Trump uh, would benefit. I think Jay Powell would benefit. Can I just say one thing on sure, this Sure, be this my guest. All right. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to predict anything here. In a sense, I, I can't really predict a meeting, although I, I think what will happen. I just want to note that, you know, we're in a boom. You had this blockbuster jobs number today. There is no inflation. There is no inflation. More growth, more people working does not cause inflation. These old Federal Reserve models are outdated and have proven to be incorrect. Right now, the inflation rate is probably less than one and a half percent even while unemployment is low and uh, jobs are soaring and we're growing at 3%. Why do I say that? Because that is a point of view which the president holds, and I think the president is exactly right. Uh, this is supply-side revolution. We're creating more goods and services. We're increasing the capital stock and business investment, and that's what creates incomes and jobs. Uh, I'm sure you remember Jean-Baptiste Say. He wrote it in the uh, early part of the 19th century. He was a French economic philosopher. Uh, I met him a, a while back. I, I, you perhaps did also. Say's law, supply creates its own demand. This is not government spending from the demand side. This is lower tax rates from the supply side, and it is businesses that ultimately drive the economy. I would like Jay Powell to hear that argument from President Trump, who knows the argument very well. Now, Jay, I think, does too. He's a very smart guy, okay? 
So I'm just saying they can benefit from an exchange of views. Let's understand that more people working and solid 3% growth is not, is not causing higher inflation. And therefore, Fed policy should take that into account. Say's law, we may have to go and commune with him to fully understand it. Hey, Larry, you and I could go on forever, but we'd both get in trouble. Me with my producer and you with your PR. Thank you very much for joining us. A happy new year to you, sir. And thank, thank you. you very much for giving us your time, as you always do after every Payrolls Friday. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.